are here, you see, Michelle. You've seen each other. Oh. You don't need to see anything new. We've already started talking, Michelle. Sorry. Are you? I think our, our audience can already hear our special guest. We've oh. got Michael Patrick King. My goodness, what a career this man has had. Where do we start? I don't know where to start. Michael is here. Michelle Visage. Now, uh, you're a Sex in the City fan. Yeah, I'm the, a New York gal. The, yeah, you're a New York gal. Uh, really? Yeah, I, I the, didn't the know com- that. The comeback. The comeback. Exactly. You know what's funny, Michael? You know, uh, I live on... I should, I should probably shouldn't no. say this. You lived in the village. I live in the village, and there's a street where... Uh, oh, yeah, Magnolia Bakery. Well, there's that, but um, yeah. where uh, Carrie lives, right people down. still... Yeah. Are in front of that. Are you kidding me? Stairway, taking pictures. Taking yeah, yeah. pictures. I call it the Blarney Rose for single women. Oh, that's exactly. They my go God. there and they have to kiss the Blarney Rose. But they actually is a. Their sad thing is that there's a, that lovely woman who owned the house who we tortured. She was like, "You're not coming back, are you?" <laughs> and we would always come back and yeah. shut down the street. And we yeah. paid so much money to that Perry Street yeah. uh, Association for their trouble. But now there's a little uh, fence, a yeah. little chain. Yes, to keep so them you out. can't sit. Yeah, yeah. But so many people. People call me all the time and say I'm on Perry Street they're still coming there oh, they're still coming why do you think that is I think it means something to everybody I think it is the a shrine of the single girl mm-hmm. she's been hurt on those steps she's been loved on those steps she's been had victory and failure on those steps it's in New York it's real mm-hmm. it's real mm-hmm. so, so it's a real street and it's a that means it's real I mean, one time I was in the when we were in the fever of it all mm-hmm. and it was like the fifth season and people were going out of their minds. I went out to dinner with uh, Sarah Jessica and Chris Noth. And uh, Chris drove like a vintage turquoise blue GTO or some other mm-hmm. kind of expected muscle car. Yeah. And we went to the restaurant and it was in a parking garage because, you know, it's really ballsy to have a car in New York. Right? Oh, my, oh, the ballsiest. Come on. It's obnoxious. We're it driving is. to dinner? Oh, come <laughs> on. Who are you? you yeah. big dick. Yeah. <laughs> Pat Fields has a car too. She's got yeah, a car. Yeah. Pat lives in her she car. She earned it. She drives it right into her house, I think. <laughs> but um, but uh, so I'm, we're leaving, and I'm sitting in the back, unseen. And we pull out of the parking garage, and there's five single girls walking down the street, and we stopped so that to let them by, and they look in, and they see Carrie and Mr. Big in the car, and they go, "Oh my God, it's real! It's real!" Because I was invisible. As always. Oh, my God. And there were there. It was real. So I think something about seeing Carrie stoop Mm -hmm. makes it even more real. Because it was real. You know, I I found so much joy. A few months ago, I was walking past there. And uh, the guy who lives in the apartment, he's got a sign up in the apartment that says, shame on you, Mr. Trump. You blah, blah. And he's he's, he's that guy, right? Mm -hmm. So someone had unchained... The, the chain that, that protects people from going up the steps. Someone Uh-oh. unchained it and steps decided unchained. to... Steps unchained. <laughs> he related and to Django. He, that guy was cussing them out so hard. Well, it made me so happy yeah. to see this guy cussing these people out. Because people come from all over the all world over. Yeah. to do that. And, um, you know, I happen to walk up and down that street. I'm not going to say why. No. <laughs> Oh my God. Magnolia Bakery. <laughs> yes, because I'm going to Magnolia yeah, Bakery. Sure. Um, uh, I lived in the village and I actually started writing um, scenes around my house. So that's why Aiden lived right on, I lived on Greenwich Street. So yeah. Aiden lived right on the street. You, and don't, then, you don't have that place anymore? No, I let go of it. Yeah. On Greenwich Street. Now, you know the, you know the, how do you, do you know how to describe to people the difference between Greenwich Street and Greenwich Avenue? No, I'm sure you do that. I, I'm going to tell you. I bet it's funny. Well, we got a New York secret. Well, no, it's very simple. It's not that funny. It's just that 
Greenwich Avenue goes off of 6th Avenue. Mm -hmm. Greenwich Avenue goes off of 6th Avenue. Greenwich Street (laughs) goes off of... It it, it runs perpendicular to Mm -hmm. 6th Avenue. It actually, it goes perpendicular to the West Side Highway. So it's West Side Highway, Washington, Greenwich Street. Street. And I don't think those two ever intersect. They don't. At all. T- just ask anybody who ever's been invited to a party at my house and never made they it. They wound up. <laughs> Avenue. So Gre- 6th Avenue, Greenwich Avenue. Greenwich, yeah. 6th Avenue, Greenwich Avenue. West Side Highway, Greenwich Street. Michelle, do you have sparkles just in your everyday I mean, life? Michael, they just I'm looking so at her and she just has sparkles <laughs> on her tear ducts, and you're not even in, <laughs> no, in these are drag. Tears. These no, are tears. just sparkles. What people don't realize, we we are taping right now on location when we do Drag Race, and if you are on the set, inevitably you, you have sparkles all over. Do you know what your we've body. renamed glitter and right. sparkles? Gay herpes, <laughs> because they'll never you got leave. Got quite you. an outbreak right now. <laughs> right, <laughs> I do. Exactly. I can't open. They'll yeah. never leave it's you. So pretty. And sidebar: How beautiful does Rue look without eyebrows? You're like a. You. It's so beautiful. Well, you know, I did my scene earlier today, and I didn't have time to paint on eyebrows, so I just put on some glasses and a hat. Mm-hmm. But I did have time. I, what you're looking at, I do have a light foundation on. It's you. Just, you're glo- like normally people without eyebrows are like, oh, she's sick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know whether to comment on the on the eyebrows. <laughs> uh, not because I knew beauty. I knew that he wasn't sick, but I just didn't <laughs> yeah, know whether looks, is it appropriate to yeah, say. Doesn't he look oh, beautiful. you have no eyebrows this time. <laughs> yeah, well, it is this time because Rue's very good at painting an eyebrow. I can paint on an eyebrow. Yes, you and usually there's so glasses too, which obscure yes. the eyebrow obscurus. That's you don't the easy see way to do it. And all the queens have caught on to do that. You know, they put on a, a pair of. Giant, giant yeah. glasses that cover up the eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Now we are talking with Michael Patrick King. Of course, everybody knows you from Sex in the City, but let's just talk somewhat about the comeback. Yes. But 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 one one thing one thing. Okay, before we get to the comeback, okay. now y- you told me something recently that you had waited tables in New York for many years. Many before, many years. Many years. What restaurant were you? I worked to? in. If if you were ever in New York. Uh, in the 80s, I waited on you. I, I literally was everything from the saloon to tavern on the... Remember the saloon on the Upper West Side with I the roller skating the, waiters? Sure, you do. Right saloon. across from Lincoln Center. Well, you never came uptown. Uh-uh. No, I never went above 14th Street. I lived uptown, but what uh, year? Uh, I don't remember years. Very, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk <laughs> off mic about the 1833. <laughs> I, I was Remember there. right near the coaches where the coaches used to stop <laughs> with the gas lights? That's where I was the first one out there with where the, the mu- horses would fill up on yes, the yes, yes, yes. Yeah. No, I worked in the saloon. I worked at little restaurants called Simon's. I worked all over the place, everywhere. And by the time you finished, were you just fed up with food? No, I actually was fed up with waiting. Yeah. I actually thought, you know, it's a big thing. I thought, when will the day come when I no longer have to wait on tables? That will be the biggest day of my life. Did you and think- when it when it came around, it just sort of atrophied off did you like did a you, vestige was there a like point arm when you thought oh my god this is never it's never gonna happen for me i made a thing when i was a waiter that i would never work in a restaurant for longer than three months because that meant i was a waiter not a writer right uh, so yeah. i would just walk out the door after three months is it that i that day and they would go where are you going i said it's three months i quit wow really i, I just kept going because there were lifer waiters and you'd sit oh, with yeah. them and they would go like i didn't get up for that audition because i was waiting and then we hung around and had drinks and i was like i gotta get up yeah how long did you do it let's just say this i moved to new york when i was 20 and I still didn't have my rent when I was 38. Okay. It was a wow. very long journey. I mean, I started as a waiter. Then I started to make money when I became a, a stand-up. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of, like, making money. Mm-hmm. And then the waiters fell off somewhere around 
playwright stand-up stuff. Yeah. And what kept you going, though? I mean, because a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't have the wherewithal to stick with it. I had a uh, need to put on a show. Mm-hmm. I had a drive that was unfounded or unheralded at all. It just was in me. I felt that I had something to say or something to be. And I was, speaking of being blindly driven, I was driven mm-hmm. to realize it. And I never, um, I shape-shifted a lot. I didn't keep just doing one thing. I would go, that's not working. Let me go over here and mm-hmm. do this. Okay, I'm a playwright. Okay, I'm a comic. Oh, I'm not going to act. Oh, I was shape-shifting, but I knew that there was something that needed to get done. Mm-hmm. And when I literally, when I was a waiter, I worked graveyard shifts. And, you know, they're like from 11 at night till 5 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I literally had no career. And I would lay down. I'd go to bed at 6, and I'd sleep for like th- three hours and then get up because I had to get up mm-hmm. and make it. <laughs> Where was I going? Mm. Somewhere. I somewhere. I, somewhere I had a drive that I was going to make it, and I would like be putting stamps on envelopes, and it would be like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'd be falling asleep, and I'd think, if you take this nap, you're not going to make it. I don't know where it came from. But eventually, it all started to link up that everything that didn't quite work gave me something that I needed for the parts that did, mm-hmm. and I never stopped. And it was never about money for me. It was always about the thing whether it be the thing I'm working on or the recognition, which is the part I'm not too proud about, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. it drove me too to be seen. Where are you from? Pennsylvania, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Scranton. Very Home glamorous. of Dunder Mifflin. Yeah, they think it's a compliment. <laughs> they do. What is Dunder Mifflin? It's uh, the, the Office. office. Oh, of the TV show, The yeah, Office. Yeah, yeah. Uh. And then, so uh, so you waited tables all this time. What was your first sort of big break? What changed? Uh, I started doing comedy. Mm-hmm. And I started, I was in, I first started in a comedy team. I was oh. in a comedy team. We did improv. I went from an improv group to a comedy team. I found this amazing girl that we worked really well together named Lisa Mende. We had a team named King and Mende. We actually played Vegas. Really? Oh. Yes. The only thing bigger than our names on the marquee was Gourmet Buffet 995. <laughs> yes. You made it. I made it. Yes. What, where in Vegas? At the Riviera. At the Riviera. Yeah, the old, the, you know, the bad Vegas. Yes. Before the Disney mm-hmm. Vegas. We yeah. talk about that yeah. quite often. The bad mm. Vegas, you mm. know, but it was still funny and awful. And and after Vegas, we split up. She had a husband and she was moving to California. And I was like, I'm not moving to California. Mm-hmm. And I went back and started stand up. And that was an interesting thing because I had been in the clubs already as a team. And I said to Silver Friedman, who runs the improv, the original, in New York, um, can I do stand up? And she said, Do you have five minutes? And I said, Yeah, I'll get five minutes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could get five minutes. What I couldn't get was the ability to stand on stage right. uh, by myself yeah. and be present. It huh. takes a really long time to be a stand up. I agree. It People does. don't realize. And five minutes is a really long time. Yeah, but once you find your own rhythm, your own voice, did you have your own voice at that um, point? I, I, I was hiding a lot because I was still in the closet, surprise. Mm, and no. so I really was funny, funny in the audience, but not funny with the truth. Mm-hmm. I wasn't telling my truth. I was telling the audience funny things. And so uh, what I found was I was a really big, big gas pedal for evolution for me it was like oh this is really big Mm -hmm. standing on stage and not knowing what was going to come out at you Mm -hmm. from the audience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. jersey it's frightening Mm -hmm. playing in jersey Mm -hmm. in clubs Mm -hmm. are you fucking kidding me i lived it Mm -hmm. i (laughs) mean you it's it's not 
civilized. No. No. They mm-hmm. just it's, it's not, not good. Civilized. Yeah. It's yeah. not good. And they will go right after the thing that you're ah. most afraid of, which is faggot, gay, whatever. <laughs> and I one time I was on stage, we were playing a club in Connecticut. In Connecticut, no longer so lovely to me. They're safer there. Not really. No. This is a place called Billy Jack's Cafe O Comedy. Just an <laughs> O with apostrophe. Oh, like Irish O. Yeah, like O Comedy. <laughs> And we were standing on a stage and we used to do this thing. My partner and I, we would tell the audience we were going to improvise or whatever. And there was a bunch of guys right at my feet, right off the table. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking. I have a little, we used to wear black and white. Like (laughs) I wore a little black and white tie, striped tie, and she wore a black and white top. And I would wear black jeans and she wore white jeans, you know. There's the reference. Without the mime. Without Uh the mime. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was like a look. Mm-hmm. And so I'm up there telling my little, hey, so tonight we're going to improvise. Da, 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 da. Can I curse on this? Of course. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking and I'm doing my best to be on and entertaining. And I hear this one guy turn to his friends and go, look at this fucking faggot jerk off asshole. <laughs> and, and only I heard it. Oh, no. And it was like I was Alice in Wonderland falling down the hole. I was like, oh. Oh, and I'm still talking, uh-huh. and I'm falling down oh at an existential hole. So you uh-huh. lost your sense I, of presence. I, I lost my sense of falseness, uh-huh. and I was like, who heard that? Did I only hear that? And I'm oh. still talking, and I'm like a record that's skipping, like, mow, mow, mow. I'm not making any sense. <laughs> oh, my God. Every time I got on stage, it was like, what's this is, this is a, a, a flamethrower for me yeah. in terms of facing who I am. And yeah. so eventually... My big break was I went from that to working in television in New York at the. What was com- your first big television show? Uh, there was a show called The Rachel Sweet Show. Do you know Rachel Sweet? She mm-hmm. was a singer, a pop singer. Yes, I remember. She was Do from you? Akron, mm-hmm. Ohio. She was 16 and she was part of the London Underground. Yep. They discovered her. She was yep. this American. Mm-hmm. She had a show on this comedy channel, which was the forerunner to Comedy Central that still exists. And they did these shows that were almost like comedy VJ shows. And uh, I was hired to be her first executive producer to write wow. stuff for her. I wonder what ever happened to Rachel Sweet. Oh, she's great. She's a comedy writer in Hollywood now. Good she for her. I introduced her to her, hus- her husband at a St. Patrick's Day party of mine, and they have two kids, and they're very happy. And St. She, Patrick she, O'Comedy. She, <laughs> yes. Oak, anything. Oh, couples. Yes. Um, uh, and so she's a big successful tv writer now that's, that's amazing amazing yeah. amazing so so you so you how did you get the I'm job i'm talking a lot no 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 this you is what we do talking no, no this we is what we do you talk no. what so um how did you get from the comedy club to that rachel sweet. that rachel sweet job what was what was the secret ingredient carolyn strauss who was the head of hbo for a while and is now the executive producer of game of thrones not too shabby not shabby at all was somebody who, th- she started out doing the half-hour comedy hours. Remember those yes. on HBO? Yes, yep. mm-hmm. And everybody mm-hmm. wanted one. Well, yep. I didn't get one, but she thought it was funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I knew her, and sh- the show was in trouble, and sh- they needed a show doctor, and she said, I wonder what Michael could do with this. So she asked me to think of some ideas, and um, boom. And she is also the person who said, do Sex in the City for us. Make it funny. I love it. I bring that up. We're going to take a break in just a second. But, you know, when you're in New York and you are from the village or you're from the underground, there are many opportunities for people to go and work at the in the big boys' rooms, in the, in the writers' tables and stuff. But it's very rare for people from downtown to be able to make that transition to the writers' room or to HBO or that kind of thing. Um, I'm just interested in what it, ta- what it took 
what's the shift for you uh, that enabled you to do that and stay there and stay at the big boys table? Yeah, you uh, never went back down. You never went back downtown. <clears throat> okay, but the big boys table really, the, here's the big secret about the big boys table. Just be good. Mm-hmm. That's it. Just be good. Good at your yeah, job. Yeah, but everybody brings these. You know, when I've invited people to the big boys table, they bring in their own baggage yeah. and they sort of self sabotage in a way that wants their their identity as a say starving artist or a. Oh, uh, that I heard. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. They don't want to sacrifice. They don't want to sacrifice no. that. They don't want to. No. They, they don't. No. They feel no. like you, that compromises. Look at the room. I mean, I'm in a room. Eventually, when I got to Hollywood, I was in a room with like seven straight guys. I'm like, okay. How am I me here? Mm, mm-hmm. And that's an interesting journey, you mm-hmm. know. And how your voice is different. Yes, from yes, theirs. yes, yes. And uh, it's a very interesting thing. I think that the biggest thing you can do is you have to just work on being yourself and also being appropriate. You have to feel the volume of the space you're in, mm-hmm. and take up your space and figure out what the vibe is. How is this working? How is this working as a group? Not how am I working in this group? Mm-hmm. How is this whole thing going to make this better? Mm-hmm. What can I add? Not how can I be littler, but what can I add to this thing that they don't have? Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like the more you're, the better you are. And I run rooms now. Mm-hmm. And what I'm always looking for is the individual voice who understands community. Mm-hmm. It's about everyone being an individual, but still in a thing together. You're all building one thing. You know what that it's means. Energy. Yeah. It's all Oh, it is so energy. Much energy. It is. It is. But you know, and and. Uh, but you're going to keep going after this. Well, <laughs> you're still not. He still wants to know no, why. No, 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 why these divas can't play the can't figure it out. But I, it's true. I, it, but it's it's an ongoing thing. It's very rare for people to so to speak go from uh, below 14th Street to uptown to midtown. It's very rare for people to be able to make that transition without sabotaging it. I found that most of my friends from the old neighborhood. Who I always said, come, come, let's do. Michelle's an, an exception. I was you know, just going to ask you how you guys did it. Well, no, but you, know, she, this girl is hungry, and she is a shapeshifter. She is someone who knows how to. Um, she can read a room, and she could read what's appropriate, what she can get away with, and what people's energy and how to be inappropriate in an appropriate absolutely. way. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's on Not her business me. card. But she's I'm a, inappropriate in an inappropriate way. Yeah, she's also a really, really hard worker. You never find someone who works harder than this woman right here. Aww. Well, that's it too, and also uh, uh, the ability to be like to keep going. Mm-hmm. That's what you're saying. What drove you? Stick with it, Ness. Yeah. Rue always well, says that. But you that. have to keep going. Yeah. Do you yeah. think it's easy? Rue no. always says, Michael, that it's the people that stay with it long enough that achieve it. Sure. Because most people, let's think about even Dustin Hoffman who started out later uh, or Al Pacino started out later and I think he was waiting mm. tables and mm-hmm. didn't start until I want to say his 40s even I, mm. I remember reading over 30s mm-hmm. later mm-hmm. in life mm-hmm. but the point is if he had given up and listened to all those people that said no 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 along the way mm-hmm. we wouldn't have one of the it's greatest it's such a catch 22 too because it is. because with art there is no definitive right, right. way and right. that's a trick like if we were all in the elevator repairing business you either <laughs> can do that mm-hmm. and people can. go the elevator goes up yeah. and no one dies mm-hmm. right. or you don't and you're fired but with art i can say especially with the young people i'm working with now mm-hmm. i can say to them this script doesn't work and they will say i'm sorry it doesn't work for you right and i right. go but it doesn't work right <laughs> can we get on thing that you might have missed right, right. and my whole thing is like 
wow, you can't, and this is using shame in a positive way, mm-hmm. you can't shame anybody now. Right, right. Because I can tell them I don't, like it took me a while to figure this out. I had a lot of millennials on Two Broke Girls, which mm-hmm. was the last show I did for so the network. So good. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, I had a lot of millennial writers and I would say to them, um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And they would be like, all right. And I was like, oh my God, when I started out, I started out in Murphy Brown. If Diane English ever told me she didn't like something, you would die. I would yeah. die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that school teacher thing. Like you want to be a good student. Mm-hmm. I thought, why am I un, why are they unpenetrable? Mm-hmm. And then I realized that we, I'm going to say us, mm-hmm. our group, mm-hmm. used to have to wait a lot between approval and they're going to leave me and go out on their phones. They're going to get 500 likes. Correct. Right. Instant gratification. They're right. They get likes. Yes. Yeah. You don't like me. I got 495 people sure. who like this face I made. Yes. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I don't want to sound like an old geezer, but I'm like, they're not the same. No, you don't sound like an old geezer because we've talked about this ad nauseum. I don't want to sound like a young geezer either. But <laughs> I'll sound like the young geezer then. But really, you at the should. end of the day, you're 100% correct. That's an issue. That's a real issue. And I'm raising two teenage daughters. I don't want them to be that way. I love the ballsiness of the millennial workers, yes. especially in the, in the business. But you can't come to the table knowing everything. Right. Because it's that moment of, when you know everything, why, why are you doing it? Yeah. Well, the whole thing is... <clears throat> you're not the boss. Right. A. So your goal is, if you want to be right, become the boss. Mm. Yeah. That's, the, yes. that's, that's the path. Right. Oh, I don't want to be working for that guy because he ruins everything. That's my opinion of the guy in charge of some show I'm on. Right. Yeah. yeah. So the only way around this, aside from my anger and frustration about the fact that he's ruining everything that mm-hmm. I think would go differently is he's the go boss. past him. Yeah. Right. Respect him, but get out of there and be the boss yourself so you can be the person that they don't like. Right. And it's possible. But it's your thing. I think it should go this way. You have mm. to have a vision. Yeah. Somebody's got to have the vision. I mean, I don't think everybody's saying, oh, I'm sorry it didn't work for you. I might be right. That's exactly what everybody thinks who's an artist. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm good. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there's a level of not wanting to take in the option that they could be wrong. Right, right. We're going to take a break. We've got Michael Patrick King. We're going to talk about Sex in the City, the comeback, Two Broke Girls, so many successes, but also, you know, this one paid, you know, walk the hard yards, you know. Yes, so uh, we will talk all about that right after this break. You know, everybody's talking about they need more money. Everybody needs a little bit more cash. Well, I have the solution. Tell me. Why not become a Lyft driver? Now, that's, of course, the ride-sharing app that allows you to go wherever you want without having to deal with parking or having to deal with the DUI or dealing with all that. This is the way you can make some money, become a Lyft driver. I don't even have to worry about the, the headache of taking my teeth in and out for a job. That's right. That's right. No, that's, you know, that's the most important point right yes, there. Yes, I have to agree. Yeah. And Lyft has a special offer for you. Sign up today at lyft.com slash ruin. You're going to get a $500 new driver bonus after you complete 100 rides within 30 days, which is so easy to do. It totally. You can choose if you want to be part-time or full-time, mm-hmm. but you do this thing full-time, 100 rides in 30 days, you're going to do that in two days. That's right. You'll be queen of the road. That's it. $500 could be yours so easily. Go to lyft.com slash ruin. That's L-Y-F-T dot com slash R-U. You know, Michelle, I love magazines. I grew up reading magazines. I think everything I I know I learned from magazines. Agreed. And now there's just this great way to read your favorite magazines. Every magazine you you can imagine is on Texture.com. Because, Rue, at the end of the day, nobody got time for dragging around giant magazines. No, right? It's just with everything, with laptops and everything else that are in the way. You got Kindles, you got phones, you got this and that. Nobody's thinking about buying an actual physical magazine. Exactly. When I get on the airplane, I don't want to care all the 
their magazines with me on the plane. Mm-hmm. Plus, I want to keep them as a reference for when I say, oh, I like that outfit. I want that. Oh, I want to do my makeup like that. So you have them on your device in perpetuity with texture.com. Yeah. How and do he, you say that word? In perpetuity. In perpetuity. It's your, in, good for you. Did I say it right? No, he he says, how do you say how it, you Alex? Say it? In, in per- perpetuity. In perpetuity. In perpetuity. I was making it up, but uh-huh. I liked mine better. In perpetuity. Yeah. Well, in, I want everybody to go to texture.com slash through and, and get that uh, 14 day free off of Yeah. Because here's the thing, you guys. They have so many magazine titles. Let's just name a few People Magazine, Better Homes and Gardens, Esquire, Vogue, Time. Uh-huh. Reader's Digest, National Geographic, Sports Illustrated, Entertainment Weekly with someone I know was on the club. Uh-huh. They even have drag racing magazines. They Well, not our kind of drag Not our kind, but yeah. If but you're the into, real kind yes, of drag racing. Yes. So they have all that stuff, you guys. And the good thing is texture is searchable. And just like Rue was saying, you can mark what you like. Yeah. You can check uh, the back issues because a lot of times you go, oh my God, I know that this outfit or this look was in something four months ago. Yeah. They have the back issues on texture.com, bon- uh, bonus video content. Content. They even curate articles and magazines just for you or whoever you're going to give texture to this year. It's normally $9.99 a month and you get over 200 magazines. But if you all sign up right now at texture.com slash Rue, you get a 14 day free trial. I like the sound of that. So why subscribe to just a couple of magazines where you can have all your favorites on your smartphone or tablet all the time for way less. Plus texture was selected as one of Apple's top 2016 iPad apps. Hello, it's 2017. I'm sure that they're even better this year. I'm sure of that. So start your free trial now and download the Texture app right now. Texture is offering our listeners 14-day free trial when you go to texture.com slash rue, texture.com slash ru. We are back with Michael Patrick King. And oh my goodness, we got so much to talk about. How nice for me. Well, you know. (laughs) No, this is a treat for me. Well, it's a treat for No, it's beyond a treat for me. It's a treat for our audience. So we have a lot of young people who who listen to our show, creative people who listen to our show, who want to understand how to make a path for their own voice. And we were, before the break, we were talking about you working with a lot of millennials who, um, who don't have the ability to be, um, how would you say? Humble or... Humble Is that or, the right word? And we don't or really wrong. Get, wrong. Wrong. <laughs> and, we don't, it's and, not every millennial. It's not every millennial. No, no, of course not. No, no, no. We're no. not generalizing, but this is the frustration for us, us geezers. And let me say, I'm probably the youngest in the room and I'm 49. So mm-hmm. we're talking about Jesus a big, but it's a, it's <laughs> that, a big... That is a rough sentence. It's, it's a big age <laughs> that gap. Is, is, that good check. Think about that, though. Think about that. I'm the youngest in the room at 49. I just want to put on to anyone who can't see me. I'm not in traction. I am not in a wheelchair. I am not. I'm not in a Stephen Hawking. And Rue, Rue, and I look amazing. You do look amazing, even though I have eyebrows. I barely do. Point being, okay, 49er. Yeah, that's me. Wow, that's well, but amazing. You, but you know, what you're describing, though, are these kids who grew up who uh, my friend... Entitled, maybe? Well, my friend has kids, and he said that, you know, um, they will do a Little League storyline. Each kid gets to hit, um, do the swing the bat. This is how they play baseball. Yeah. Um, but even if you don't hit the ball, you still get to run the okay. base. No. Now, here's the that's thing. That's not fair. That's a huge part of my development gone. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because I was out in the right field eating shit mm-hmm. as a little leaguer mm-hmm. and that like please don't let the ball come to me please uh-huh. and the humiliation now I don't really and I'm thinking about this all the time uh-huh. I don't know whether that humiliation forms you in a good way 
like makes you the diamond or whether if it's removed you'll get there anyway no, no i think no, 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 no i no. think the humiliation creates the humility 100%. that allows you to understand and the, and the force to overcome the it force yes. that, you, you understand gravity and you understand yeah. that the yin and yang of the world if you don't have any yin then you, the world will break your heart at every turn so because it's going to happen it's going to happen. happen inevitably Those, if you don't have the tools that's right. Right. So if you get a trophy every time, right, and then someone doesn't give you a trophy, you're either devastated and can't go on, right, or you're no, you you make them wrong. Right. And, and trust me, the universe. Nobody gets out of this thing alive. By no. the way, no. the universe <laughs> well, will. Well, Michelle will get up a little bit <laughs> oh, later no. than us. Michelle. Apparently, just maybe a she's going to have a couple more years than yeah. us. Like yeah. just a few. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but ultimately, <laughs> you know, water seeks its own level, and that's just the way it is. And that has nothing to do with oh, maybe this doesn't work for you, Mister Boss. But in my mind, I am a, uh, a little leaguer who is a uh, world champion yeah. at playing baseball, mm-hmm. even though I've never hit a ball. You know, different so, kind of ball. And hey, make no mistake either, I. Let's pause for the balls. Uh-huh. Yeah, you Sorry. always have to let the balls. I gotta yes. go for the low that's hanging. For the homes, that's over the low home. hanging fruit. Well, literally, exactly. literally, it's always there. The plums. <laughs> um, they will be plums. Um, but the uh, thing I was gonna say: make no mistake, anyone who's listening, we want you to be there and want you to be good. Sure. Oh yeah. And I'm yeah. looking for your voice. Absolutely. I'm not looking for you to have my voice. Right. I'm looking for your voice. So don't come in broken or thinking I'm not going to want to hear your voice. Right. Mm-hmm. Just figure it out. When I would see all those actors and it was so amazing, actors would always come in and they would like, they hated me. Mm. And every door that opens up, the person that walks in, I think, I hope it's him. Of course. Uh-huh. I yes. hope it's her. Right. We've talked about this. Yeah. And when... then they just explode. Right. It's true. Right. They come in with a thing that says, they didn't, speaking of that, stand up. When I was a stand up, the woman who ran the club said to me, Tape all your sets, cassette tapes. Mm-hmm, of course. Mm-hmm. Record and play. Record and play. And listen to them afterwards. Oh. And I would go on stage and I would do my act and I would come off and I would actually say, they hated me. Mm-hmm. They hated me. They hated mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing you say. If you mm-hmm. right. They mm-hmm. hated me. So I'd walk home from 44th to 73rd Street. They hated me. They hated me. Mm-hmm. They hated me. They hated me. I'd play the tape and I'd hear... They loved me. They loved me. I did one joke they didn't mm-hmm. get. Mm-hmm. I hated me. Right. Wow. And then I hated me and I pulled away. Right. And then I told them to hate me yes. too. Yes. And I was like, this is so interesting. Were you able to see that back then? Yes. In the That's because I was listening to the cassette right. tapes wow. and I would go, wow, this is me. I'm doing it. You just have to sit in the fact that you bombed. Mm-hmm. Don't turn it on them. Mm-hmm. But you hate you and then they pull away. That's heavy. Well, that's, I love that. That's a great story. And you know what? Well, you what, do that all the time to people. Well, you, you have you two to. call people out on that all the that's time. That's what this yeah. whole process is. It's so exciting. Energy. That's what this whole process is, 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 is really about. And, and the, that, that, that story is so important because, you know, I, I keep going back to the kids in the East Village who I started out with going above 14th Street, that's the, the, the cycle that keeps happening. You know, when I see, um, when you say to the young millennial writer, um, that doesn't work, it's coming from a place of, there is a fixed method. There's a fixed 
uh, method of how humans interpret things, what they, what they hear, what they see, what mm. they taste. There's a, there is a process that is and really fixed. And also for this particular show mm. that I'm in charge of that I hired you for. Yes, exactly. I'm not talking a universal that doesn't work. Right. This doesn't work for this right now. Which in right. turn, as an, as an open-minded, especially younger writer, you should then go, maybe it doesn't. How can we make it work? Or... Yeah. I got something else. Yeah, uh-huh. let me how show you what this? else I got. Yeah, how about this? Yeah. It's a million ways you can if go. You with don't it. come back with how about I got this? I yeah. got this. I got this. My brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, who was my one of my early, he was my first mentor, really. I was he, you know, I was nine when I met him. He had a car business where he would flip expensive cars, and I was never able to sell the cars. I was able to wash the cars and drive the. I cars. could drive the cars, <laughs> but he would have me go and run errands, and he'd say, "Listen, when you come back here, do not come back here." with a no if you can't come back here with what i asked for come back with something better wow well, and that's that, a writing room that's a writing room and go. i one of the first things i learned from diane english who's a beautiful brilliant showrunner is you can't shame a joke unless you have an alternate okay mm-hmm. you can't just point out it doesn't uh-huh. work you have yeah. to say what about this instead right Correct. no bad ideas just bring them all out Correct. what else yeah yeah, you can't just go shaming people. You Mm-mm. have to have a you have to put something on the line for that. You have to say, "What about this?" So after the Rachel Sweet show, did you go directly to Diane English? No, no, that was interesting. I, I got a call uh, um, from a friend of mine named Cynthia Stevenson, who is a really the wonderful, actress. Yes, the actress. Oh, great, wonderful actress. Uh, and she said, "I'm on a show. They can't write for me. Will you come out and write for me?" And I was like, "What are you talking about? What show?" And it was a show called My Talk Show, and it was produced by Second City and it was a strip show you know that means when there's five in a row mm-hmm. five a night mm-hmm. a five a week one two three four five and the premise was like Fernwood tonight it was a woman in the Midwest who had her own talk show why do I not know about this I, I no it was it. brief mm-hmm. brief tedious and brief as Shakespeare would say <laughs> it was brief so I said I'm not coming to Hollywood what's it about <laughs> and she said, it's about a woman from Ohio who has her own talk show. I'm not coming to Hollywood. And I'm telling you, I had a computer in my little office in, in my home, one room. And I was literally somebody just started putting my hands and I just made up what my version of that show would be. Never mm-hmm. having seen it because mm-hmm. there wasn't, it wasn't on the air. Uh-huh. It wasn't on the air. So I just boom, 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 boom. And I put some gas station guy because the price of gas was so high and I like she's talking to him and I just said I'm not doing that and I sent this somebody inside of me sent the script to Hollywood mm-hmm. I got a call uh, they liked it they wanted to hire me oh now God. I had a now this is from somebody who nothing ever worked like that for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I never had results okay mm-hmm. the first time I wrote a one act play I wrote it two weeks later somebody said to me do you have a play wow and that was done. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I hit wow. that, I was like, oh, this is different. Anyway, I sent the script to Hollywood, um, 38. Sent the script to Hollywood, uh, already too late to be in Hollywood. And they said yes. And I had this manager who was the guy who used to represent all the Saturday Night Live writers. Mm-hmm. He's this old guy. Wow. And he, A. Whitney Brown. and All those. Oh, yes. uh, Michael O'Donohue. Yes. All of them. Everyone from that, he had all this. And I was from the of, golden days. I was the kid. Uh-huh. And he's like the un no job kid and he was like he talked like this uh-huh. and he said uh mike uh you're gonna go to hollywood i said what's it like out there he said hollywood's like a game of musical chairs only when the music stops no one's out they just push in another chair <laughs> <laughs> and i said i don't want to go and he said well just know if you go out there you're going to be the poodle and i said what's that he said 
you're the actress's pick. You're her poodle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Like actresses get a writer. Yeah. Sure. So I finally decided, well, I'll give it a shot. I didn't want to go to Hollywood because I thought my life would change. It did. Mm-hmm. I came out. I went to the show. I hugged her. She whispered into my ear, I just quit. Cynthia Stevenson just quit. just quit. Uh-huh. So I, the first show I wrote was her goodbye show. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then that show pretty much went down like in three weeks. I got an agent because of a script I had written. It was Ari Emanuel who went on to become sure, the uh-huh. head of it out uh, bitch. Yeah. On, on yeah. Entourage. Uh, yes. entourage uh-huh. him. That's who was, Ari Gold was based on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and he said to me, I have uh, connections that in living color. Write a sketch. I said, what am I going to write for In Living Color? Just That's the only connections I have. He was a young agent. So I wrote three sketches for In Living Color. Go ahead, say it. What they were? Uh-huh. I wrote Officer Mars and Officer Rolo, two cho- that was chocolate candy, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, two mounted policemen who were so the, for the Wayan brothers who were so good looking. All they did was look at each other in each other's uh, mirrored glasses <laughs> uh-huh. on horses, uh-huh. and they just kept saying how fine they were as the horse's shit. <laughs> And I wrote um, a, a thing called Shelf Life, which was in a medicine cabinet. It was a box, an old box of hair relaxer, talking to an Afro pick about their days are over uh, and talking <laughs> to Jerry Curl about he, he thinks it's all going to be okay. good for the rest of oh, his life. Oh, my God. And it's just these three things talking. And the third thing I wrote was Connecticut Safari, Connecticut Safari, Family Safari. It was a black family driving through Connecticut. Like the wilderness. Oh safari. my gosh! And shut every up. time they stopped, like people threw pesto at the car, <laughs> and insurance men tried to get in their cards. And the last line, they would scream because all these white people were from Connecticut were coming up like wild, crazy <laughs> animals. And the and the and the little girl said, "Can we go again, mommy?" And the mommy said, "No, that's enough white people for today." <laughs> and oh my god! That's just that's what I would write. I wrote exactly what I would write, and they hired me. And I actually the next day got another job. Which was for a Ryan O'Neill Farrah Fawcett sitcom called Good Sports. Yes, Good uh-huh, Sports. Uh-huh, yeah, it uh-huh. lasted briefly. Yes, right? but I took that because it was a narrative. It was like a mm-hmm. traditional storyline. It's also Farrah Fawcett. Ryan was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that went down fast, but that was it. And then I went from there to Murphy Brown, and it sounds so easy. It does it, for it you. Sounds it sounds magical yeah. at this point, but it wasn't. It was. You did the hard yards I, before I did the work. it. Yeah. 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 But I was ready. That's the point. And Sybil, you did Sybil too. I did yeah. Sybil. I was fired after uh, off Sybil after two episodes. Two episodes. I was fired on Sybil when I was I was brought in to be the executive producer when somebody else left. Mm. But there was a coup at Sybil, and it had nothing to do with Sybil because I liked Sybil. Mm-hmm. Sybil, there was just a coup. Mm-hmm. It was. There was a lot of bad mm-hmm. energy. There were yeah. 16 writers. I got taken over. There was a split in the room. There was like a three-way coup. Oh and God. I got in charge of one factor faction. And then those other people got mad. And then I was in charge. Now, here's the best part. My parents were visiting from Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I decided to let them be extras because Sybil was all about minorities. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So she thought it'd be great to have two old people sitting behind her in the restaurant. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> quick story. So I look at the monitor. I'm the executive producer of Sybil. I'm just there for two episodes. I'm watching it and I see my mother talking to the waiter and she's making faces and <laughs> he's, he's miming like, here, just background, like here's yeah. what we have and she's why, rolling her eyes and making faces and I'm like mom I went and I said what are you doing you made more faces about that fictional Caesar Caesar salad than you did when I told you I was gay take it down she said I don't know what I'm doing wrong I said just sit here and say your rosary just just say your rosary but anyway while they were there 
filming, I read in the trades oh, no. that I was fired. Oh, my. While my parents were there, I somebody says... Being extras, by the way. Lou, look, look at the trades. I opened the trades and they announced the new showrunner for Sybil was, and no one had called me. Oh my oh my and I was like, oh, and my mother said, um, and I was going to finish that, edit that show. Yeah. And then I was done. And my mother said to me, we're not going to tell anybody that we're in it until we know we're in it. I said, oh, you're in it. <laughs> if it's the last thing I do, I'm fired. You're going to be in the show. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was weird. Like I got fired. Wow. Weird. And that was, was but that the, was pre-existing conditions. It was. And when I asked why, they said they need to start fresh they need a mop aisle five guy okay. who uh-huh. can come and clean up the mess. Uh-huh. How long after that did the show uh, Oh, get, it went on for a long time. It went on for a long time? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't. The, it was I mean, on for a long time. It went on. I mean, that was its third season, and oh. it went on for I don't know how long because I blocked it. Yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. blame you. Oh, my goodness. Listen, we're out of time, but we, oh we didn't goodness. even get to talk about the comeback. or sec- Well, you know. the comeback's amazing. I know you love it. Thank you for love, being love, on love, it. No, love, love, love it. It's Brilliant. I'm so proud of it. Lisa and I are so proud of it. And it keeps generating its own love fest for people who have never seen it. And that's the great thing about technology. Which now. is surprising, though, because it's a show about sort of the really the dark side yeah. of yeah. what uh, being yeah. a star in Hollywood and, well, and the business. What, what people are willing to do to, <gasps> to themselves remain relevant. To, be, yeah. to be in front of a camera. Yeah. Yes. And it was basically my cautionary tale, me working out like, oh, Really, how much of yourself you're willing to grind up? Mm. The poster with Valerie standing in a meat grinder. Yeah. And her skirt is coming out like sausage. And that was Lisa and I's idea of what the show is, how people... And it was in the reality show. It was before there was even the Real Housewives. Yeah. And look what happened. Yeah. It all became the thing. Well, no, it's just amazing, though, that the show... Um, obviously, you know, there was the first season. How many years between the Ten. two? Ten. years between the two yeah. seasons. But the fact that it resonated so hard for people... I'm. It's, you know, Hollywood doesn't like... TV shows or content about itself. No. Because it's way too strong. And the fact that an audience found this show it's and amazing. loved the show. It's a mirror. That's yeah. why. Yeah. The, yeah. Hollywood hated the show. Mm. New York, ravenous fans. Mm-hmm. New York got it because it was distance. Hollywood's like, nope. Yeah. Right. Nope. And then eventually, because of the way the world works, it hung around. We got very blessed that it became a cult thing and yeah. it still was relevant and that's one of the great things about content now it can still live it doesn't need uh, a network's permission to be alive yeah are you allowed to talk we've got to go but are you allowed to talk about the bridget everett i think so and what's what's it called it's called love you more Uh bridget everett is this amazing new york cabaret star who is bold and brazen she's an amazon she defies a lot in her live performance she crosses a lot of boundaries in real life she's all soul. So I worked with her 10 years ago, another 10-year thing, mm-hmm. off-Broadway. We wrote a show for her, and uh, I got a chance to work with her again. Uh, you might know her from Amy Schumer, and mm-hmm. she's also... I love Yeah, her. she's wonderful. So Bobcat Goldthwait, an amazing uh, writer, director, who used to be a stand-up, and I and Bridget and Carolyn Strauss from Game of Thrones mm-hmm. came together, and we wrote Bridget a show called Love You More. And the amazing thing about it is, aside from... The character that she plays is Karen Best, and she's a mess. She's a mess. She does all the wrong things at night. She's outside all the lines of society. She drinks a lot, has a lot of inappropriate sex. And so she's a mess at night, but she's a hero during the day Mm -hmm. because her job is she's a counselor. 
at a group home for young adults with Down syndrome. Oh, bless. So there are, there are seven Down syndrome actors in oh, it I as love well. This. And then she has a 72-year-old roommate <laughs> who she got on Craigslist <laughs> who came back to New York to resume her life as a single girl after her husband died. Yes! And that is played by, pause, Lonnie Anderson. Oh, Shut my up. goodness. Lonnie Anderson. Lonnie oh my God. Anderson. She's back. And wait. And it's a beautiful performance. It's coming on Amazon November 10th. It'll be on their website. It's a pilot. You love to, you, you have, more. Love you more. Yeah. And Lonnie Anderson, Bridget, and these amazing actors. And it really, again, like the really kind of interesting stuff I've done, it defies. It's never been seen before. That's what people keep saying. I've never seen anything like this. Oh, I can't wait. But it's kind of about love. It's all about love. Oh, God, which it is sounds what you so good. two are all about. I, so. I love it. I love it. I'm very happy. It's very exciting. And I love Bridget. Oh, too, she's, so she's fantastic. Wait to see her. She's yeah. so amazing. And there's music in it, too, as Yay! well. There's one song a show. Oh, perfect. Love you more. It's on Amazon. Thank you so much, Michael oh, Patrick. I feel King. like the only sad part about this is I didn't get to hear Michelle and you talk. <laughs> Oh, you can tune in anytime. No, I can't. Not with honey. me in the room. This yes. is like 3D. Yo, this, this is real. Oh, this is virtual. Fabulous. This it is, is virtual. Completely virtual. I can, it's almost like I can reach out and touch you. You, you can. It'll cost you. I know. But you can. I'll be leave covered in sparkles, but it'll be good. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, you were fabulous. Uh, Michael Patrick King, right now, we've got in a few minutes, we've got uh, Jody Watley coming up. I mean, um, this who is getting I, more exciting every day. What a great show this is. Yes. It's fantastic. We'll be right back after this. Michelle, the Blue Apron storyline, I think it's so fascinating. The idea that they could ship food to your doorstep for such a, a small price. Yeah. You know, when you go out for dinner, uh, you got to find parking. You got to get gas. And you got to gather up the whole family together. What's more beautiful than having the family have a meal, sit down for a meal in your own home? And by the way... Less than ten dollars a meal. That's brilliant. You ain't eating anywhere for less than ten dollars. No, you're right. A meal. You're right. Even it, if you go to fast food, you no, can't get it for that. You not, know. And mm-hmm. this is not fast food at all. This is not no, and you get to cook it yourself. You know where it's coming from. I swear by Blue Apron. I know a lot of people have kind of converted over. Sure. They've tweeted, they posted on Facebook saying, All right, I'm gonna give it a go and they love it. I've turned some of my mom friends onto it because you mm-hmm. do get the first three meals for free oh. with free shipping. It shows up at your door, you guys. It's in a big box and Inside it are the biodegradable uh, ice packs. They separate the meat from the produce. Sure. It comes marked. You know what it is? It has a recipe, big recipe cards that you can reuse if you like a recipe. Mm. You can then take it to the grocery store next week or the week after and go, you know what? My family liked this one. I'm going to redo this myself and Uh buy the ingredients yourself. They know that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you're going to make incredible meals. So they do set the highest quality standards for their community. They have all their, you know, suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, ranchers. Some of the um, meals that are coming up, listen, meatball pizza. Oh, wow. With fresh mozzarella cheese and charmed tomatoes, uh, miso butter salmon, miso horny butter salmon, uh-huh. <laughs> and some lo mein noodles with cucumber and charmed tomatoes. A lot of charmed tomatoes going on, apparently. Right, New recipes created weekly, not repeated within a year. You can choose your own meals or go rogue and let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you and just go, I don't know what I'm going to get this week. Uh-huh. No, no whammies, no whammies, stop. <laughs> you could do that yourself. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card, y'all. I am telling you, I am no Julia Child, but mm-hmm. this makes it so easy that I do it. My kids love nine out of the ten things I choose. Yeah. 
they love and say, I want more Because of your kids eat meat. You don't eat meat, but right. your kids and your husband all eat meat. It can't, do, is there a vegetarian option? There's always a vegetarian option. Always 100% a vegetarian option. My youngest daughter loves salad, mm-hmm. so maybe I'll get something with a salad. There's always a side dish. It's never just, here's your slab of meat. So there's always <laughs> some kind of a salad that goes with it or a veg that goes with it and yeah. or a grain that goes with it. They do a fully prepared, like it's a fully balanced meal. You can check out this week's menus and get your first three meals free like i said with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash rue or you guys they have a great comprehensive app to check out and you could sign up that way but make sure you don't forget to put in that code word it's ru blue apron a better way to cook we are here with Jody Watley. Yes. Hi, Jody. Yes. Hello. It's so, it's hey, so fabulous, people. Yes. You. you know, it's so funny. My life and your life has always crossed paths. We, you and I, are are in sync. And I we, we always will be. Yes. Always yes. will be. Because I met Jody the first time, uh, I think it was 1975. She, my brother, really? my brother-in-law, who was a bit of a hustler, entrepreneur, uh-huh. <laughs> he had a club um, in in San Diego that he hired um, Jody, and I think it was uh, uh, it was um, uh, Tyrone Proctor. Oh, I remember. To come Tyrone. down and dance. it's like a dance contest mm-hmm. thing. It was something. Oh yeah, gosh. down in San Diego. You know Diego. what? Wait a minute. I remember, and why I remember it. Uh. This is one of the funniest I, I remember. Uh. Didn't know that was your, but that show, uh, we were Soul Train Dancers then, and I remember it because Tyrone Proctor doing the hustle dances, uh-huh. he would he would swing girls around really hard. And his partner, Sharon Hill, uh-huh. at the time, she had said before they went out to dance, now Tyrone, don't you be pushing me all around because my ponytail's not on good. <laughs> And he was twirling her and twirling her. The ponytail came no! off. Uh-oh. And he hit the beat. It was some disco song. Uh-huh. And he kicked it. And that thing slid across the floor. <laughs> oh, my God. Like it was on ice skates. <gasps> and so that's what I remember. We all just, it was so funny. But I remember, I remember that because of that. That is hilarious. <laughs> and, you know, Tyrone Proctor would, he would, he would hit the, the like he would spin a girl around and he she, he would hit, hit yes. the end of things so, so hard. So hard, yes. It was beautiful <laughs> yeah. to yes. watch. But not beautiful, to do. But probably not but to do. But secure with those pins. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now with Soul Train, now I remember seeing you on Soul Train, you were probably 14 years yeah. old and you would have these two, they weren't even pigtails. They were, your head, your hair was tied on either side of your head. What's this, where the hair was just out. Afro puffs? They weren't puffs. It was her own hair. Right. right? So it was just two. Um, it's like a little ponytail. Those little are pigtails. Yeah, pigtails. Little pigtails. Yeah. yeah. And you look for, do you ever see that footage? Have you ever? I do. In fact, recently, my current single, Sanctuary, uh, a DJ fan of mine did a montage. Uh-huh. And he mixed clips of me from Soul Train, and that's one of the one that he loops around. Uh-huh. And I'm working it out in uh-huh. pigtails and white ribbons. Yeah. And um, I actually showed it to my son and daughter. They, because I, you know, I'm just, you know, mom. Yeah. Yeah. And they had the the biggest laugh, you know. And they said, "You still look the same." It's just, you know. Were you allowed to be but, that young um, back then on Soul no. Train? No. Okay. Okay. No. <laughs> I was like, hold on. <laughs> So you were about 14, 13? Yeah, about 14. I 14. Think. Yeah. And and so who, who introduced you to Siltrain? How'd you get on? I, um, well, I was living in the Midwest and it was the show everybody, Saturday afternoon. It's, mm-hmm. you know, all about Soul Train. 
And as fate would have it, when my parents moved out here, my dad was still trying to get um, his li- everything back together. He lost mm. his church, mm. um, and he had a, a, a supposed friend out here who said if he brought the family out that he could be a um, co-pastor or whatever mm-hmm. at the church. So we came to California, and um, nothing went according to plan. And we were we drove out here, and my dad at the time, he went from flashy Cadillacs mm-hmm. to this thing he called Louise. It was a broke-down <laughs> station wagon mm. situation mm-hmm. with, wood, with wood paneling, just, you Aww. know, something out of a movie. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so in the middle of family turmoil, all I could think of is I have to get on Soul Train. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> that kept me from being sad because it's like we, you know, went from being fabulous to having nothing sure. and sleeping in Louise and those kitchenettes down on uh, Venice. A lot of them are still there, Venice wow. near La Brea. Uh-huh. And um, so I ended up getting on with a uh, a guy I met in church named Bobby Washington, and he was a regular dancer on the show. Before that, now, I had investigated, how do you get on this show? Mm-hmm. They had auditions, but no one, it wasn't a regular thing. You had to know somebody to know someone, and I didn't know anyone. Mm-hmm. And um, one time, I happened to meet Tyrone Proctor. Uh-huh. And he was part I of said, the Campbelllock team, was, wasn't he? He he was well. He's in the original Soul Train dancers, and they were touring with the Lockers. I see. Um, but Tyrone was the original Soul Train dancer. So mm-hmm. so anyway, I happened to see him one day, and I told my mom, "Stop the car! Stop the car! That's Tyrone Proctor from Soul Train! Stop the car! Stop <laughs> oh my car. god!" So I get out, and I'm shy. Uh-huh. But when I saw him, I was. This is my opportunity. And he looked at me like I was insane. He didn't give me any information how to get on the show. Uh-huh. It was very, thank you, you're such a sweet <laughs> little kid. And he kept it moving. And so I would tease him about that for a long time. And so then, as fate would have, I met Bobby Washington at a New Year's Eve midnight service. And... Um, he asked me if I would go. His regular partner was out of town. Mm-hmm. I remember what I had on. I had my mom's dress on. She always had fabulous clothes, black, um, with a turtleneck top. I had on a black beret uh-huh. and a pair of my mom's cute platform pumps. Uh. So I guess I had the look. And and when he asked me, and I had been trying to gone on for like six months. I was losing my mind. Mm. And... Um, so that's how I first, it was meant for me yeah. to to get on there. It was Bobby Washington, and I'll be always grateful. And how did you get paired with Jeffrey Dan- Daniels as your d- dance partner? So um, so once I knew where they taped, and they taped, Which is where? you know, at the time it was uh, KT, it was KTTV uh, on Ga- Coenga, not Coenga. Oh, Gower? Uh, Gower. It's uh-huh. something else now. Yeah. And um, so I once I knew it was so I would go up there uh, the following month because after Bob his par- partner came back, um, stood in line, got sent home, cried all the way back mm. to the kitchenette on the bus. Oh, so the kids would go to the studio, stand in line to get picked. The, well, most of them were already regular dancers. I see. And um, so I would just try to you know weasel my way uh-huh. in, and sometimes <laughs> it would work. And it's like, who are you? Get out of here. Uh-huh. And uh, so then I ended up becoming dance partners with a dancer named Glenn Stafford. 
And we danced together. All There's a lot of clips of us mm-hmm. on YouTube. And then another dancer, uh, Charles Washington. Uh, another dancer who was really popular, James Phillips. He was a part of the original Soul Train dance gang mm-hmm. with Tyrone. And um, Jeffrey, I met through my brother um, through church because Jeffrey was living with Reverend James Cleveland. Oh. Um, and so my brother... Uh, and he lives in Japan, and he would tell you, he's, I wish I'd never introduced you to him. <laughs> but so they knew each other, and uh, and that's how I met Jeffrey. And then he was trying to get on the show, and um, and then eventually we started. But I had been on there, I think, already for about a year. Right, because then, uh, you know, I would see you and Jeffrey and Sharon Hill and, and Tyrone and Tyron, Proctor mm-hmm. on American Bandstand, because during yeah. the... Um, the American Bandstand had a big dance-off contest, and Jeffrey and and uh, Jody were part of the finalists for that big. No, it was Tyrone and Sharon. Was it Tyrone? It was and Tyrone Sharon? and Sharon. Yeah, and they won the cars. They won the they wow. Won the cars. Yeah, they won but two I, Mazdas. I thought was I thought you and Jeffrey danced to uh, working I think day we and got, night. I think we got in it too, but it was Tyrone and Sharon that made the finals. Oh, I see. So. Sharon and Tyrone made the finals. Yes. But you and Jeffrey also did. Because I can I remember you guys dancing to Power. Was it Power by um Lip Sync? Power. Yeah. Power. Yes. Power. Yes. Would yeah. You, yeah. And I thought also you guys You have a great memory. No, oh. this is <laughs> He these, does for stuff that you'll never use unless oh you're in this gosh. moment. This is the thing is that these kinds of memories, Soul Train, but American this, Bandstand. Yeah. You know, years ago I I got uh Dick Clark called me in the office to pitch something to me, this dating show or whatever. This is 17 years ago. And I told him, I said, before the meeting started, I said, you know, there isn't a Saturday morning that goes by that somewhere in the recesses of my brain, (laughs) I think, oh, American Bandstand is on. Yeah. Uh Train is on. Right. It's still back there. My, it's because it was part, it was such a cultural phenomenon. So you weren't able because Supermodel came out in 92. Were you able to be on Soul Train? No. It nope. was off back See, then. I was, like, yeah, I I was able so. to be gone. on Soul Train. You were on Soul so, Train. Yes. You, it was gone by the time yours came out, right? Yeah, but it had came back in different incarnations. But yes. it's still... Um, uh, actually, I was on a plane once with uh, uh, Don Cornelius. And I know they were they were they they had um, a guest host from time yes. to time. Yes. And uh-huh. I said, so Don... Um, I would love to. Uh, yeah. When am I going to? Uh, yeah. uh, he said, oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> That's Don. <laughs> he was dry He voice. was yeah. so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did he say it to you? Yeah, he did. He was yeah. really rude to me, too. Was he? Really rude. Huh. It was just, I never felt uncomfortable. And it was that moment where I was like, oh, my God, I'm not oh, wanted yeah. here. I was always terrified of him. Yeah. Really? <laughs> always. So, yes. Yeah. And he would be the one that, you know, eventually when I became a regular, it was. I would always see him point at me, her, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I could just hear it. And I'm like, you know, I'm super quiet. Mm-hmm. Like, did I do something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it would always. And then I would see him talking, and he would always have them move me around in the riser. Mm-hmm. And um, but throughout, even when I went back, all the times I did as a performer. Mm-hmm. Um, he gave, I'm one of the few artists that he devoted an hour special wow, to. Wow, that's amazing. And always shaking in my boots yeah. when I really? talked to him. He just had that kind of it was scary dry presence, presence uh-huh. yeah. that, you know, 
It's just some people you don't want to even say hello because yeah. you don't know what's going to come back. Exactly. There was no warmth. Um, well, it's yeah. just so, it's such a legendary. But he was always oh, supportive sure. of me, but I always very, um, you know, he, he's, he, you know, he made you nervous. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, I got it. I got it. <laughs> We've got Jody Watley here. So many stories. I have so many questions. It's, I love it. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this. I took a lift recently and the driver was so lovely. Aww. And, I, you know, I, I, I hope all the lovely people go out and, and apply to be drivers for Lyft because I love the concept of not having to go and park uh, someplace. And I love the convenience of, of dialing up Lyft and having them come pick me up. So easy. And it's so great when you have the drivers just do the right thing. Yes. Nice. Or they don't talk too much. Or yes. They're informative. I love it. You know, listen, we need more lovely Lyft drivers. And if you want to make some more cash... Go over to Lyft.com and apply to become a driver. You can make a lot of money, you know. Uh, how about up to 1500 bucks a week while driving your own car? Oh, my God. That's not chump change at no, all. No, not. That's that's an actual living. That really is. And if you sign up now, you can get a $500 bonus if you complete 100 rides within 30 days yes. as a Lyft driver. And unlike other rideshare apps, Lyft, with a Y, has a tip button in the app so users can actually tip and with Lyft drivers, they get to keep 100% Wait, how much percent? 100%. Wait, you that's outrageous. Let me tell you why. Because huh. corporate America ain't taking your pennies as a Lyft driver. Are you talking about the man? The man ain't <laughs> holding you back. You're driving your car, so you're giving a big middle finger to the man and say, I drive for Lyft. I'm going to keep 100% of my tips. I love that. Yeah, I love that. And they have express pay. So once you have over $35 in your account, you don't have to wait for a paycheck. You can cash out at any time. I love that. And we here... At What's the Tea? Uh-huh. I almost said RuPaul's Drag Race. Same thing. <laughs> we here have a special offer for you. Sign up today at lift.com slash RU, and you're going to get a $500. Honey, that is a pair of Gucci sunglasses. Oh, yeah. That is food for a while. Oh, yes. There is a button. See where my priorities is. I do. Yes. Gucci sunglasses yeah. first. Mm. You're going to get that new driver bonus after you complete 100 rides, like Ru said, within 30 days. 500 bucks. Go right now to lyft.com or download the app. It's lyft.com slash RU and start earning money with your car today. We are back with Jody Watley. We're talking about her career and so many. I mean, you're one of those people who. Uh, just sort of kismet. I mean, you were always in the right place at the right time. Such an incredible career. Of course, I remember, of course, from the Soul Train days, and those clips are still all over the internet today. Uh, The longest legs, clearly a young child. Did they ever say, wait a minute, girl, you were 14, because you have to be 18 to be on? Yes. Because a lot of those kids didn't look 18. No. They looked older, didn't they? Yeah. Yes. That's what looking at it now I always thought, you know, how old were they? Yeah. Because you look like, when you see it, you see, oh my God, that's a child right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. They, I wasn't going to be denied. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> no one. No stopping you. There's no. one uh, episode, especially during the disco era, where I remember they played uh, Amy Stewart, Knock on Wood, the long version, and they let it roll. I love that. And that these kids, you were that there. That was the song. It, it don't 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 yeah. these yeah. kids were just going at that, it that was one of those songs that the dancers would get super excited that oh yeah it's like <laughs> it's time to go to work now yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. so 
right. So I met you in San Diego in the back of that car. My brother, I couldn't go to the performance that night because I wasn't of age, you know, at that time. But uh, I remember I was really, really thrilled about that. And then the next time I really, uh, you know, the next big benchmark was Shalimar, mm -hmm. 1980, second time around. Huge hit. Mm -hmm. Huge hit. Who's decided that they were going to put you in the group? And who knew that you sang? How did you say, um, sir, um, over here, <laughs> I, I know how to sing. It was Don Cornelius. And um, when the time came to put Shalimar together, it started because the 12-inch medley of Motown sure. hits Uptown Festival was a popular disco song. And it had with session it singers. With session singers. Yeah. So they needed a people to you know give it an identity and to help promote it so it was Don Cornelius's idea to pick Jeffrey and I at that point we were the most popular dancers on the show mm -hmm. and he knew um, there's an interview he did uh, archive jet magazine or something and he just said because of that charisma and the instant uh, notor notoriety from the public mm -hmm. it would be um, he just thought it was a good choice and he didn't especially know if I could sing or not, but he knew my mother, which I never knew, because um, my dad was on the radio for a time in Chicago, the same time that Don Cornelius was. Mm -hmm. He knew that she sang in church and whatnot. And so beyond the popularity and the charisma and everything, he said, uh, eventually he said, um, I figured since her mother could sing, she could sing too. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and he was right. And originally, they also, Dick Griffey, who never wanted me in the group, wanted to bring another girl in. And I said, no, I can sing. So I actually, though I was already picked to be in the group from Don, because it was Soul Train Records at first, I sang uh, Barbara Streisand's Evergreen acapella. Really? really? Yeah. And um, that was it, because it was just like, there can't be another girl. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and uh, and, and then, so they like the producer, uh, Leon Silvers. He said that I had the perfect tone for the group because it had. Uh, he has. He said it has that pop thing or whatever. It really does. And he, uh, Leon Silvers, uh, the third, who produced many of the records for uh, Shalimar, <clears throat> had. Um, he would. This first time I ever heard this this technique. Then they would do it on your voice, which is it would double itself. Like computer, I don't know. Maybe you were just doubling. We were doubling. Yourself. You were oh, doubling, yeah. but it was yeah. a perfect double. It was, and the tone yeah. of you doubling yourself, it was very, very. It have to be very uh, precise. Yes, and um, you know, I was always really good with it. I have really good pitch, and then you have to remember exactly the inflection of how you right. sang it on that part. Um, yeah, it's like way before now you can just, you know, computerize sure. it. Uh, and even with hand claps back then we would get in the hallway and everybody would, you know, clap Yeah. and you had to, everybody had to be right on time together. And then we would double the hand claps, you know, so all right. those disco records, it's like the hand claps are real. Everything is real. But that was the joy. I remember being in the studio. Mm. I remember the first time it was 1989. You're mm. in the studio, you hear it. And then they said, okay, you're going to sing it again. Exactly the same way. And then you, when you hear the playback with it doubled, you're like, Oh Yeah. The record's coming to life. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so um, uh, uh, it was Big Fun was the first Shalimar album. What, what, what was... Third. 
Was Big Fun was the third? Yeah, because Uptown Festival, which we didn't sing right, on, yeah. and then Shalimar Disco Gardens. Let's not forget Gerald Brown. Right. Take that to the bank. Yeah. That's um, right. So Shalimar Disco Gardens, uh, which produced the hit, Take That to the Bank. And, um, and are, some good you, tunes are you on, on that one? Uh huh. That was the on... first. We all sang together. Okay. Gerald, um, Jeffrey, a little bit. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that one we became the act. That's I call that original Shalimar because that's when. We all first recorded together. That's right. <clears throat> right. And Big Fun was the first one with uh, Howard Hewitt. Yes. Then, I see. Yeah. And then Gerald uh, departed and then um, uh, Big Fun uh, entered Howard Hewitt. And that's that that really propelled you guys into because um, uh, uh, second time around, how far up the pop charts did that go? It was Shalimar's biggest hit and the only top 10 single, actually. Really? Bigger mm-hmm. than... Um, um, that that last one, um, dead dead giveaway, it was yeah. Dead giveaway that? didn't do that great in America. Uh, second time around is the only. Even you would think a song like a night to remember. I thought well, I think also a night to remember would be a and huge it, hit. It wasn't at the time. I think over time, yeah, it did okay. I mean, obviously, but mm-hmm. over time, it's become. I think the most beloved song of but that what about, catalog. Uh, this was it. This ring is for the love for the lover in you. That was, it was a modest R and B hit. It really? wasn't a crossover. Hit. I so much in bigger my in my mind. mind is, in my yeah. mind, yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's like if you pull up some of those old Jet magazine yeah. charts and Billboard. Um, no, actually, I was even surprised um, because I had someone helping me a few years ago work on my website discography. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's when I kind of because when you're doing it, yes, I'm sure. not thinking about well, what chart, what you know, mm-hmm. with my stuff, yeah, I was obsessed. But with Shalimar, I didn't, you know, being younger and it's like you're just doing it. Yeah. And then I like I thought that was a bigger hit yeah. than it was. <laughs> right, right, yeah, because there were some, there were some. I mean, there was make that move and what was the biggest kid. one for Shalimar then? Second time around. Second yeah. time around. Mm-hmm. Wow. Make that move was great. That's one that of my song. favorite. And oh. when we do that in concert, uh, when I do it in concert, it's it always moves the crowd the yes. most. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's oh. all about make that move. It's so so great. I saw Jody recently in New York at at BB uh, King's uh, reviewed the the show. Yes. That I loved it. Thank you. I yes. was in heaven, and everything. All those memories kept coming back to me <laughs> wow. at that time. Wow. It's just a, a, a really exciting time in music. And I loved all of the Solar records, which is what Soul Train Records turned into Solar yeah. records. I love that whole sound, that yeah. Leon Silver's sound with Lakeside and... Uh, uh, Dynasty know, and The Whispers. And The Whispers. Uh, the Whispers had, you know, great songs and... Um, it's yeah. a love thing. Yeah, well, it was oh. Rock Steady, uh, the Whispers. Or no, yes, Rock Steady, mm-hmm. but that was uh, L.A. Fa- L.A. Yes, Babyface Baby did that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now, okay, the decision to leave Shalimar. I've seen mm. something on on YouTube where you finally t- discuss why you left the group and and what was going on. And it was kind of a revelation to me because I I can't imagine being in a group where you're partnered with people and you'll be remembered as part of this threesome forever and ever. It's like a family, it's like a put together family mem- uh-huh. group. Yeah. But you don't necessarily have to like them or go on to go on vacation with them. Yeah. I feel yeah. that way about my family. Yeah. I love them. Love <laughs> y'all. Yeah. I want to go on vacation. Right. You know, but it was interesting that you've, and you were well, the only girl. Yeah. You know, and it was, and even on the unfiltered that I did, I it was still, you know, um, mindful of, you know, I would love to, 
really, you know, go in depth with a memoir, a movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, one of the things that people don't know is that Jeffrey actually left before I did. Really? People always think it was me. I yeah. knew it. She destroyed the group. Uh-huh. He didn't come back when we recorded the Look album. He's not on that at all other than Dead Giveaway. Um, because actually by then once you really know the business and you're not getting paid and all of that that every young artist goes mm-hmm. is just you know um and also side deals were being cut for Howard with Dick Griffey and they mm-hmm. were just doing all kind of stuff and so and also you know once you realize your manager can't be your record label and your booking agent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so we wanted to break away and get our own manager and Howard yeah. didn't And that kind of became really it. And because he was so ensconced with Dick Griffey, how it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had him doing separate shows without us. Mm -hmm. You know, my friend, uh, rest in peace, Jermaine Stewart, he called and said, well, girl, you know, you're not going to be, you know, we're we're about to do a concert. Where are you at? They said, we didn't know about it. Mm. And things like that, you know, things that didn't come up in, in the unfiltered that, you know, that was really a big part of it. And so just you reach a point like I said and what really changed my life forever was my father passed away unexpectedly and it's like I, I was just so heartbroken and but it made me look at life and I'm you know um still early 20s and I thought um this is not this is not it it's mm-hmm. like I'm being disrespected as a as a girl as a, a young you know woman here. The business is wrong, and even though it's like sure you know it's great to hear your songs on the radio, but there's a bigger thing called life. Mm-hmm. And I made the decision to remove myself. And recently, um, going through <clears throat> a legal situation with the trademark. Uh, one of the documents from the old attorney of uh, Solar um, made the statement, and it's actually true. I, when I when I read it, I was like, you know, wow. So he said that when they tried to convince me to stay, um, I said to him and and Dick Griffey that day that I would rather be a ticket taker at the Baldwin Hills Theater <laughs> than to be in this group. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that a great line? Yeah. I was like, oh, this I has to be it. in the movie. I love it. <laughs> I'd rather be a ticket checker at the Baldwin Hills Theater than to be in this group. Oh, it's funny. And I was so soft spoken, but I could totally hear myself saying it. Well, I, it's, as soon as you said it, I immediately got a picture in my head of the Baldwin Hills Theater. And I remember, yes. I remember. Uh, Friday Foster on the marquee and that's the first thing that came to mind here's a Pam Greer movie called Friday Foster uh-huh, uh-huh. I could see it on the Baldwin I Hills love Theater. that yeah so did you get your right because I used to work at the Baldwin Theater too as uh-huh. a ticket taker as a teenager uh-huh. and what movies so, were you, it was all the Foxy Brown and all those all movies all of those movies yeah. Uh, yeah. Orca and uh-huh. all stuff like that so yeah. so on the Shalimar stuff obviously it was a rotten deal because that's what you do with young kids when yeah. you put them on a thing mm-hmm. Did you get to write anything on those? Yeah, albums? I co-wrote uh, "Full of Fire." Oh, that was a hit. Uh, "Playing the Wind," uh, "Help Me" from the Friends album. Oh, um, "Work It Out." 
yeah, quite a few. And yeah. so with, with the publishing, they couldn't screw with the publishing part of it. Oh, yeah, he took that, too. Oh, my goodness. But, you know, what's interesting, <laughs> though, is that it prepared you for your own solo sure, career. Yeah. Which was... I, I, so I said, I, I have no bad feelings about it at all. It taught me so much. Like, so once I decided, well, I'm going to keep singing, I'm, you know, and I got so focused and, and knew um, and I'm still learning, but I did know some things and that I learned from shot what I didn't want mm-hmm. um, that going in and, and being, um, you know, a young woman. It's like, you know, you already have a strike against you. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, you want to write? Really? Mm-hmm. That's cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sure you do. True. You, know, you want to, you know do all the styling and wardrobe, which I did, you know, some of that in Shalimar too. Mm -hmm. But it it really, you know, it was a great uh, learning experience. Sure, yeah. And it, of course, introduced the public to you. So when you did come out with your solo album. Her Grammy Award winning. Yes, it was a major, it's a major coup. And in fact, it made made all the Michigas, it it made it all worth it. Oh, absolutely. And I had motivation because... All of them said that I would never succeed. Um, it was written about me when the group broke up that of everybody in the group, Jody Watley's future will be the most in question and in doubt. Ooh. And so throughout my life, it's just I'm always that underdog that yeah. people, they don't see it. And it's like I'm stealth. It's like I won't be denied. Like right. soldier. It's just it's 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 for me to be me and I've been always um, determined to be myself, even within the confines of a group. A lot of the clashes that I would experience is, you know, the being called the B word and just mm-hmm. shut up and, you know, nobody, you just in learning to stand up for myself and having to deal on my own because the label wouldn't help dealing with. Um, music programmers that you know are disrespecting you and trying to touch you improperly Mm -hmm. and you complain about it and it's like you know who what do you think that you are like Mm -hmm. you know Mm. just come on over here and sit on my lap and it's Mm. like you know not gonna do that and being young and then nobody from the label nobody in the group nobody you know hey man don't do it's just like oh jody stop being such a bitch like you know, and it's like, wow, but it made me, you know, and I tell, you know, young girls coming up, it's like, you know, never lose or anybody, male sure. or female. It's just never let someone, you know, treat you improperly sure. and be willing to walk away from it because yeah. otherwise you have you self-respect. All kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Never lose your self-respect. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I saw Shalimar perform in Atlanta in may have been 81, perhaps maybe 82. I don't Solar know. Solar Galaxy of Stars tour. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because it was with Lakeside because I knew some of <clears> the yeah. guys in, in Lakeside and you had on this this cream-colored fringe dr- dress, yes. Yeah. And I remember, and there was no doubt. I mean, my eye was on you. That's who my eye was on. I was and thinking, sure, you've always been you. stunning. Always, always been yeah. stunning. Plus yeah. also, I, I had the background of, of being a fan from Soul Train. And then this other uh, level, this other uh, uh, chapter in your career as a solo artist. 
such great material. Now, I, the song, um, most of all, was that, is it true that was meant for Madonna, that song? No. Because uh, Gar- it's Patrick Leonard produced. And Gardner, right, Patrick and Leonard Errol produced. And um, Gardner Cole, Gardner Cole wrote it. And um, Gardner, at the, at the time, actually, Madonna and I briefly shared the same manager. Oh, Freddie Demand. Freddie Demand, until she said, "You can't manage her and manage me." So mm. I of got course kicked she did. Into mm-hmm. her. Um, and so Gardner was bringing songs up uh, for her and for me. And um, you know, someone I read that recently. Well, that was a throwaway song for us. I said, "No, it wasn't. That's Jody Watley's song uh-huh. that Gardner wrote for me." And I he also gave song. me uh, everything. Which oh is my! One he the, did that too. He did that too. Who produced everything? Uh, that was produced by Andre Simone. Andre that was Simone. on my second album, right? Yeah, because um, that everything is just most of all, and everything I, I well, in some kind of lover, um, are my. Some kind of my go-to. Amazing. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Now, so and friends because of Rock Kim. Right. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Jody knows I had a crush. On yes. <laughs> so, who, so who was your A and R person? Who was who was who was putting pairing you with these songs? Who was saying we need this song? How did that work? It was actually I and I'm very thankful always to Gerald Busby who basically allowed me to curate everything because when I went into uh, when I started looking for a deal I didn't want to be the girl that was not knowing who she was Mm -hmm. so I said you know I'm going to be writing and working with Andre Simone from Minneapolis I'm doing a duet with George Michael he's Mm -hmm. a friend of mine in Mm -hmm. London um, I got Bernard Edwards from Chic Mm -hmm. and Power Station for Don't You Want Me Me. And uh, Love and Gesture, and the song and the duet that I did with George Michael, uh, right. Learn to Say No, Bernard produced. And um, and really, Patrick Leonard was the only one that was there. That was the record company choice. Oh. But um, everything else, like all the songs that I helped write, Looking for a New Love, Some Kind of Lover, all mm-hmm. of that, Gerald said, just do... He loved that I knew who I was. Sure. And, um, and so it's really... You know, that was it. Gerald yeah. allowed me to write the songs and sing what I want. And as an artist, it's like in a songwriter, uh, someone asked me recently, do you have any other songs that you wrote and recorded that? I said, no, because I knew exactly what I want. So we recorded what was released and that was it. Wow. Um, I was so just, I just knew it. And I told him, I said, I didn't want to be... He just looked at me. I'll never forget it. Um, I said, I don't want to be like anybody else. And I said, and why is it, you know, with black artists, the black department, the urban department, Mm -hmm. the pop department. So in his office, it's like all of the new edition, um, Stephanie, the different uh, album covers that Mm -hmm. were gold records. And I said, you know, why is everybody, why all the black artists albums have to have that blue background Uh in that same typography and uh, I said I want my album cover to be in black and white Uh because it's going to be timeless and I was like uh, and it's funny because I'm so as a person I'm just very soft but I'm so like I just no, I'm very, well, I'm 
you know, strong will. Well, no, having been through what you had gone through at the other label, mm-hmm. I mean, you'd be a fool to not say, be very uh, uh, direct and dis- and distinctive of what you wanted it yeah. to look like. It would be crazy. Yeah. That's you- why I ultimately signed with MCA, too, because I met with, like, Benny Medina at Warner's and... Um, just uh, met with everybody, but Gerald was the one that I felt really confident that he he got me. And that's really rare to find in the music business where, like I said, you know, with women, I just feel like you all, they're just looking at you like, sure, yeah, 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 just right. be cute and shut right. up. So now, uh, all of this leading up to Shalimar Reloaded, that's, what, that's the show I saw in New York recently. Fabulous. Thank I know you. you're working on an album with yeah. Shalimar Reloaded. Actually, now we're, we've changed our name and now we're just SRL because it's, it's just streamlined. I love that. Love and it. just it drops some baggage and, you know, SRL. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I saw the show. It's fabulous. Thank you. Everybody loves the guys and thank you. Well, is there, what's the website to find out information on where we could see SRL? R-L. Official SRL.com. There you go. I love it. I love you so much. Thank you. Joey. I love you too. It's so fabulous to yes. get to talk to you. I could go on and on. I didn't get a chance <laughs> to talk about Jermaine Stewart and the song Jody and how that made you feel. It'll be part two. We'll have you come <laughs> back to come for part back. two. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Baby. Thanks as always. And Michelle Visage. Yes, Until darling. Next time, my darling. Mm, bye. bye. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Love yourself, how in the hell you're gonna love somebody else? Can I get a name, man? And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. If you can't love yourself, how in the hell you're gonna love somebody else? Amen. Hey, hey,